0: This evening is Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 46 and it reads Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell to his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found him sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again... He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go see, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated.
1: Well, I certainly want to thank you for being with us tonight. We're very grateful for your presence, as we always are. Thank you for the men who've led us in worship tonight, Stan's led us in some beautiful songs, and we're very grateful for that. And we're also very grateful for the Scripture reading and the prayers tonight. If you do not have an outline of the lesson tonight, please raise your hand and these deacons will come and make sure that you get one. We're involved in a Sunday night seminar. Tonight's the last lesson of our seminar. It's not that we've exhausted the subject of prayer, but we are going to conclude it tonight with this lesson about a very famous prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think there's a lot of different ways to approach this subject, but uh, I've chosen to ask and answer five questions with regard to this garden and this particular prayer. You'll remember the setting of the scene, the prayer itself, uh, Jesus had left the upper room and he goes to the garden with the apostles. It was going to be a sleepless night. The first part of the night it would not be conducive for sleep, but the second part of the night, the enemies of the Lord simply would not allow it. He would be up the whole time. As they were crossing over the Kidron Valley, Mark tells us a little bit about what they were discussing. And as you turn to Mark chapter 14, there you see a very familiar passage, but this is, these are some of the things that were being discussed as they were on their way to the garden. In verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 28, But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. That discussion was going on while they were traveling from the upper room to the garden. Now the garden, which we're talking about tonight, was a familiar place to the Lord and for him to pray. The garden itself is called a wine press or oil press, and that's what the word Gethsemane means. Gethsemane is, is transliterated. The actual word means oil press, and evidently someone had uh, an oil press there as they would press the olive oils from the olive trees and, and get the fruit of the trees. If you went there today, you would go to a little garden And there would be the very, very old, gnarly trees that were there. And your tour guide would tell you these are the trees that Jesus stood under and kneeled under to pray. They're very old at the time. History tells us that the Roman army came and cut all the trees down for the besieging of the city of Jerusalem. So the trees that are there now, though very old, would not be the trees that Jesus uh, knelt under as he would pray on this occasion He left the eight on the outside, he went further into the garden, and then he left the three there and went further still into the garden. By this time, Matthew tells us that he was deeply distressed and uh, was very concerned about um, these particular matters. And uh, he says he was uh, distressed even to the point of death. And he uh, encourages them to pray. He comes back and he finds that they're sleeping. Mark uh, offers us sort of a, a statement that Jesus made in that instance when he says, now couldn't you watch just for one hour? And so he goes back and prays again and comes back and finds them sleeping once again. Then he goes back a third time into the garden and prays. And it's this prayer that we want to study tonight. And I want to ask five questions with regard to the prayer and I'll use the scriptures to answer these particular questions, and that'll be the way that we'll approach this prayer. Now, we have looked at different prayers in our Sunday night seminars. We've looked at Old Testament prayers. We've looked at New Testament prayers. We've looked at the content of these prayers and the uh, format of them. We've tried to examine them in every way that we possibly can to glean as much as we possibly can. Tonight, I'm going to look at this prayer just a little bit differently. I'm going to ask these five questions which you have on your, um, your notes and in turn try to answer them by means of the Scripture. And the first question that we ask is when. And we find that it was a time of great distress for the Lord. I think it's somewhat ironic that the place would be called Gethsemane, oil press, because it was a time of great pressure and distress upon the life of Jesus. It tells us in Matthew 26 and 38, Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And so it was very clear that Jesus was facing the suffering that would go along with not only the trial of uh, himself, but also the, the cross looming off into the very near future. There was a great deal of distress there. Distress over the fact that he realizes that he would be separated from the blessings of God. That he was dying for the sins of the world. The sin bearer of the world. Not that he was guilty of sin, but that he was dying for the sins and paying the price for the sins of the world. And it was a distressful time. Luke talks about the fact that I sweat was like great drops of b- blood, showing the distress of the occasion with which he prays. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt... Filled with a great deal of distress. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus felt that way. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, I'd like to notice this particular passage with you. And maybe it'll help us with regard to our prayers when we pray to God. And I'm looking at about verse 11. But the passage that I have in mind, verse 14 and 15, let me start there. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now I take comfort from a passage such as that, because the passage is telling me Jesus understands what I have to go through. Jesus was going through a great deal of distress. It was a time of great pressure. A time of great distress with regard to the work and the purpose of God and the will of Christ. And so he faces that time. So he understands. And I know that you may feel that way sometimes. I felt that way sometimes where there was a great deal of stress and trial in life. And that's the time that we should go to God the Father. I came across this passage in the pages of the Old Testament. It's in Psalm 42. And I'd like to spend just a moment studying it with you. And I'd like to spend a lot of time on this great psalm, but I'll not be able to spend a, a great deal of time. It, it's a psalm that helps us understand in moments of trial, in moments of distress, to whom should we turn? Jesus turned to God. And we should turn to God. Psalm 42. Now here the psalmist is under great distress. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now why did, would he express it that way? as the deer is panting why would the deer be panting well the deer is panting because there's pressure on the deer hunters are hunting the deer they're pursuing the deer and he's thirsty and he feels the distress he feels the pressure and he wants the water and so the psalmist is saying that's the way i feel sometimes i feel sometimes great distress and i'm looking for what for the help that god can give so pants my soul for you O god and you can help me in times of great distress. My soul thirsts for God, verse 2, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's the only kind of God that's going to be able to help you, the living God. And he says, I, I long for you in this moment of stress. I'm looking for you. I need your help. Now, my enemies are making fun of me. My tears have been my food day and night, verse 3. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? They're making fun of me in the times of difficulty, saying God's not there to help you. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. I remember the happy days when I would lead the people to worship, worship in the temple of God. But these are troubling times. My soul is cast down within me, verse 6. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. His point there is trouble comes on me like a flood of water. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? In one verse He saying, you know, you're like, you're with me and you're helping me. And another verse he says, it seems like you're far from me. And I guess I should hasten to verse 11 because that's really much of the point of the psalm and the present point we're developing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope and trust and confidence in God. In times of distress, and that's what I see Jesus doing. He goes to this little garden. He's left the disciples. He goes in further. He leaves the three. goes in deeper into the garden and prays. It's a time of great distress in the life of the Lord. The press which was upon him at the time and the looming cross, which is there just before him. Let me spend another point talking about where this garden was. It was a place of great disappointment. Uh, He asked his disciples to keep watch. Um, The point that I think is being given to us in Matthew chapter 26 and the verse, verse 38 particularly that could be translated pray with me then he said to him my soul is very sorrowful into death remain here and watch with me or it might have been pray with me what is he looking for he's looking for companionship I want you to pray with me I want you to watch with me maybe watch is the right translation there perhaps prayer is the right translation there and if you'll notice the disappointment and the time of disappointment This was a great time of disappointment in the life of the Lord. And I can think of several just right off the top of my head as to why it was so disappointing to Jesus. One of them would betray him. He's already told Peter, he said, now you're going to deny me. Peter, even though he's talked about the kingdom of God being a spiritual kingdom, would take a sword and try to defend him, thinking that the kingdom and the Lord could be defended by a sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. It's a time of great disappointment for the Lord. Verse 56 of our passage tonight. Matthew chapter 26. You'll notice what it says at the end of that passage. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. It's a time of disappointment. Do you know what will happen? People will disappoint you there'll be times when you're counting on them and they will disappoint you but God will never disappoint you you can always count on God the question for consideration is uh, the question of where it is a place of great disappointment when I look at the prayer in the garden in which Jesus is praying on this occasion but I want to hurry to another point that we have before us. And that is the matter, Jesus prayed how? And that is much of what we want to learn tonight. Jesus prayed submissively. And I want to turn to a number of Bible passages. For example, John chapter 6 is a great verse in verse 38, talking about the submission that Jesus had and the kind of submission that we should have, not only in our prayer life, but in our life before the Lord. John chapter 6 and 38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He came to do the will of God. Submissively, he prays in the garden. Turn with me to a great Bible passage, Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible writer is telling us that God is not going to accept the blood of bulls and goats to atone for sin. Under the old law, the blood of bulls and goats was given as a payment for sin, and it would only be temporary with regard to rolling those sins forward. But real forgiveness could not take place until the perfect sacrifice be offered. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. You see, it was in the mind of God that this take place, that Jesus be offered to atone for the sins of the world, and thus making salvation possible for you and for me. Notice here in this passage, as I explain it, Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm looking at about verse 5. Consequently... When Christ came into the world, He said, and now He quotes one of these Old Testament passages, Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. God's not going to accept animal sacrifices. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. There's not going to be an animal sacrifice that can atone for the sins of mankind. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. You see the submissive element there? As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. With regard to the law he's talking about. When he said above. You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings. And burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added behold I've come to do your will. There's that element of faith again and submission. He does away with the first. That's the first law. In order to establish the second. That's the New Testament law. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it's making the point that Jesus doesn't have to die over and over again. Jesus died once for all. So when that sacrifice was made, that was all the sacrifice that was needed when Jesus gave his life. Submission. Old Testament prophecy in Psalms was saying, that's what this Bible writer is teaching us, there's going to be one... Who would come, who would willingly submit to God and His will throughout His perfect life. And that would be taken as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. So you and I have hope for obtaining eternal life tonight. Now that submission is the point. Where is this place? How did He pray? He prayed submissively. He would tell His disciples, Our Father which art in heaven... How will be thy name? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. He's teaching the disciples. Pray submissively. Pray that God's will be done. And he does the same thing here. And I think we should spend a certain amount of time talking about this in Matthew chapter 26. Our passage tonight and particularly verse 39. For in that passage, he says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think the submissive attitude of Jesus in the matter of prayer is a lesson for us all. I think he came, it was prophesied about his submissive attitude, that he would perfectly do the will of God, making himself the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind, He teaches others to be submissive to the will of God and he is himself submissive. And I submit to you that the ropes which bound the Savior were not what was holding him there in captivity. But it was the will of God that was holding him there. It was doing God's will is why he is there. There are no ropes that could have bound the Son of God. Are there no armies that could have prevented him from uh, doing whatever he wanted to do? He tells Pilate that if he wanted to, he could bring legions down to help him and support him. But it's the will of God that's binding him. It's the will of God that's keeping him. Why? Because he's submissive to the will of God. Is there not a lesson for you and me tonight in being submissive to God's will? Indeed there is. And it may be the cry and the need of the hour. is greater submissiveness to the will of God. And whatever God answers and however God answers our prayers, let it be God's divine will. May we say as Jesus did in this remarkable prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Not only is it a time of great distress, a time of great disappointment upon the, the Savior, a time of submissiveness, but this occasion really only has one purpose. And the occasion that we're studying tonight The purpose is prayer. He says in verse 36 of our verse, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now I can remember very well a passage in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 that to me um, is very remarkable. And then he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They should always be people of prayer. And he tells us in this particular respect, in this particular point, that we should be men and women of prayer. That's the point of this lesson. And that, of course, is the point of this occasion. Mark chapter 14 is a rather interesting verse, and I need to explain that as it is in connection with our study tonight. Mark chapter 14, he talks about this matter of prayer, and he uses a term or two there that is somewhat unique The verse is in verse 36, and I want to read it to you. It starts in about verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. This is Mark's account, you see. Mark chapter 14. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further... He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I what I will, but what you will. Isn't that interesting? Mark includes this matter of Abba, Father. It's a unique phraseology. It's an Aramaic term. It goes back to the idea of a very clear, close, confident connection with regard to God the Father. I cannot find anyone using the term Abba Father prior to Jesus and His prayer on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba Father does come up another number of times. comes up in the book of Romans. But not prior to the usage here. It he conveys a closeness A nearness to God. And he said, Abba Father, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I don't know that any of us could really uh, make a reference such as this with regard to Abba Father, to be that close to God. Uh, Certainly in our prayers, we don't want to express anything that would be frivolous or shallow or childish with regard to the wording of our praying to God. Yet we should have this very close affinity to God, this close connection to God. Christ seems so close to God, He describes Him in this very intimate way, Abba, Father. It is a prayer which surely He would uh, pray, depending upon uh, the great need of the hour. And so we ourselves ought to pray with a closeness to God, a close affinity to God. Now, the term, this has become kind of a controversy over the years. And the term Abba, Father, I've actually heard some of the younger people get up and lead prayer. And, and they would refer to God as Daddy. And I've actually heard older men get up in their prayers and refer to God as Daddy. And, and in turn, or Papa, and try to say, well, it's the same way Jesus prayed in His prayer In Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. But I don't know that that would really get the essence of what he's talking about. The idea of daddy or papa. I know of no translation of legitimate nature that translates this word that way. It does express from the Aramaic language a very close relationship. But it should not be equaled or equated to some frivolous kind of reference like we might make... With regard to earthly fathers or grandfathers. Uh, My grandchildren call me Papa. But I would never dare describe God in that fashion. I have too much reverence and respect for God. I believe that we're missing a point when we try to do that. I'm referencing Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. I'm saying that we should have a close feeling for God. A closeness to God. A close connection to God. When we pray to Him but at the same time. We should not express to God something that is frivolous or shallow or silly with regard to how we talk to God. We should make it our purpose to pray to God our Father. Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Philippians chapter 4, also verse 6. But we should never approach Him in a shallow, frivolous kind of way. And I wanted to discuss that. What is the purpose? The purpose is to pray. The purpose is to pray in times of difficulty, in times of stormy life and weather in life. And that's what you see him doing here. He's praying in such a fashion, with such a close relationship to God, yet with great reverence and purpose of heart. He went to that place to pray. That was his purpose. And he expresses himself in very intimate terms to God, but not in any kind of frivolous, shallow way. He expresses himself with reverence and piety and dignity and that's the way our prayers should be referenced well I ask a question not only what kind of time it is or how he prayed or why he prayed but i wanted to ask the question what result came from the praying and i think we'd really miss out a little bit here if we didn't talk a little bit about that particular matter and naturally i think the hebrew writer had this incident in mind When he was talking in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 about the praying of Jesus. And I'll read that passage to you. And uh, I think it's a very interesting and telling one, especially with our subject tonight. In the days of his flesh, referring to Jesus. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. Because of His reverence. And so the idea of Jesus praying on that occasion, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, certainly is uh, a point that is made that God heard His prayer. God heard His prayer and God uh, uh, did so because of His reverence. Now, you might ask the question with regard to the matter of result, well, why didn't God just take away the problem of the cross? Why didn't God just answer his problem and say, okay, we'll do without it this time. Or maybe we can come up with another way in order to save mankind from sin. Or, or maybe we can do something else besides you having to suffer and die on the cross like we had planned originally. But God didn't change his plan. And Jesus didn't come and ask God to change his plan. He said, now if this cup could pass from me, let it be so. But let your will be done and not mine. First of all, there was no other plan. There was no other way to do this. God had under had designed the perfect plan whereby the justice of God could be satisfied and the mercy of God could be satisfied. Paul's point in Romans chapter 3. There was no other plan, there's no other way. There's no other way whereby the justice of God could be met and satisfied with regard to the problem of sin and the guilt of sin, and yet at the same time the love and mercy of God could be satisfied in wanting all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there was no other plan to be devised. There was no other way by which this could be done. Then what was the result of the Lord's Prayer? The Hebrew writer said God heard Him. God heard Him and He was reverent in His prayer then what was the result of the prayer? Well, it was a matter of strengthening Jesus. And what a remarkable aspect about this prayer that we should consider. I ask that you turn to Luke chapter 22 and and Luke 22 particularly around verse 43. You have reference to this matter that we ought not to forget. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, verse 43. Well, the point of the passage is God did not take the cross away from him and the burden of the cross away from him, but he strengthened him through the prayer so that he could continue to do God's will as God wanted him to do it. The result of the prayer is that God heard him and that God answered his prayer in God's way. God knew the best way to save man from sin, the only way it could be done, and God knew how to answer that prayer in the best possible way, and that was to send an angel and strengthen him and you notice through the course of this this study through the course of this great story what happens there notice in our passage back in Matthew chapter 26 after this prayer you see it about verse 45 and 46 Then He came to the disciples and said to them, Matthew 26 Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise let us be going and see my betrayers at hand. Now I don't know if I'm saying this exactly right. I sometimes wrestle with the the right expression and the right way to convey the concept of the idea. But as it comes across in the scriptures, Jesus seems to be saying, let's get on with it. Get up and let's go. Let's get on with it. Rise and let's go. My betrayers coming and those who are going to arrest me are here. Let's get on with it. And I don't want to be disrespectful in any possible way, but I believe the strengthening result which he received from the prayer in the garden now gives him the demeanor, the self-control, the calm, whereby he goes through the mockery, he goes through the trials, he goes through the persecution, and they're amazed at how calm he is. In fact, he's the only one that is calm through the whole proceeding. Jesus his calm Pilate says don't you know that I can decide your life and death don't you know that I'm deciding your case here and he's amazed at how calm Jesus is how did that come about Jesus knows the great work and purpose that He's to be about, but He's also received strength as an answer to His prayer through a very difficult time. God heard Him because of His reverence, and He strengthened Him with that angel that came from heaven. And He's the only one through the whole scene that is calm and collective because He's been strengthened as an answer to His prayer. Is there not a lesson in that for you and me? Indeed there is. There'll be times and difficulties in life in which I just don't know which way to turn. There are times that I go here or go there. Shall I do this or shall I do that? I don't know the exact answer and how it ought to be. But I know one thing. I can receive strength from God through His Word and in prayer. And when I go to our Heavenly Father in prayer then surely I do everything that I possibly can do, and then I leave everything else up to Him and cast all my cares upon Him, for He cares for me. What an important and valuable lesson with regard to the matter of prayer. Matthew chapter 26, from one of the great prayers of all the Bible, Old or New Testament. Now, if you're not a child of God tonight, you really ought to become one This ought to be sufficient motivation within itself to call someone to say, yes, I want the blessing of prayer. I want the benefit of prayer. I want to be able to go to our Heavenly Father in a close relationship to Him and pour my petitions out before Him. And as I do, ask for His help. One needs to repent of sin and confess his faith in Christ and be baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins. You and I study that considerably We talk about that regularly. We emphasize the importance of the gospel message be taught and the gospel message be proclaimed and obeyed while we have the opportunity. And one of the great privileges is the avenue of prayer. Where would we be without prayer tonight? We are a people who believe in prayer. And you ought to be one of those people You ought to be one of those who've been obedient to the gospel and enjoy this spiritual blessing of prayer. Now I hope you'll do that tonight. Won't you come while together we stand and while we